The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Hi, Tech. What can I tell you? Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's podcast. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And Kip Lipper, a legendary name in the capital, at least to us. Uh, Kip, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, John. Good Hi. to see you guys virtually. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, I know that's an operative word now. We're all at different locations. You're down in the Delta in a vineyard. I'm in my home office uh, being licked to death by a cat who managed to sneak into the office before I close the door. And Tim, where are you? Are you in the office? Are you at home or where are you? I am actually in the Capitol Weekly office, which is completely dark and empty. <laughs> Weird. Um, Kip, so, I, you know, I, one thing, obviously, you know all things environmental. And I always associate you with environmental legislation, and you have been for years. You've been in the Capitol, God, forever. I think 35 years I saw one one note here, and you were... Actually, it's uh, 45. <laughs> 45? Oh, this must be an old note. Yes. Um, so uh, w- what happens now with the coronavirus and its impact on environmental legislation? The coronavirus obviously is sucking all the oxygen, no pun intended, uh, out of the air. But where are we on such things as uh, fracking and groundwater management and the Delta conveyance and all, all the things that we always talk about here? What's, what's going on with that? Yeah, these, that's a great question. <clears throat> I'd sort of, I would divide the environmental universe up a little bit in terms of, you know, legislation that is, was pending and important legislation prior to the onslaught, uh, onslaught uh, of the crisis. And then <clears throat> the kinds of things you mentioned that are kind of already, they don't require new laws or regulations to be done. So, for example, you, you mentioned fracking. The Newsom administration announced uh, just last Friday that it had approved, I believe, 14 new um permits for extraction of oil in the Kern County area that had been reviewed by the uh, Lawrence Livermore Laboratory and approved from the standpoint that they are not affecting groundwater. So, you know, those kinds of regulatory activities are continuing to take place and um, permits are being approved in many cases. In a lot of cases, uh, our state agencies are, like most people, uh, sheltering in place. And so the, the uh, March and April public meetings either have been postponed or they're doing them virtually and they're trying to kind of truncate their agendas uh, and, you know, uh, to uh, get through the public business um, more quickly. I did notice, for example, the State Water Resources Control Board is meeting this month. They're doing it virtually online. Other agencies are doing the same thing. Um, uh, the Public Utilities Commission obviously continues to meet on things like the PG&E bankruptcy and uh, on the wildfire mitigation. So those kinds of things, you know, state government continues to move forward, even though the governor's attention is obviously inappropriately uh, singularly focused on the um, the COVID epidemic yeah. or uh, pandemic. Yeah. Um, the bill, the interesting thing to me is, you know, what? So, and you ask another, you ask a good question, which is, what's going to happen to all that stuff that was pending? So, you know, you think about a couple of things. There was a major uh, plastics, single-use plastics recycling bill that was a holdover from last year. uh, Oh, yeah. uh, SB 54 and AB 1080 um, that a lot of people in January thought would move fairly quickly and be resolved. Um, 
you know, there are major bills pending on a variety of other issues from climate policy. Clearly, in the Senate in January, we passed what we refer to as a climate resiliency bond, SB 45, which the governor endorsed and the assembly said they would take up. I think a lot of those things are very much um, in suspension right now. And it's not clear, you know, I think how they will be handled will be more a function of what the bigger decisions are about when the legislature comes back for session, uh, how the the um, uh, morbidity and mortality of the virus uh, peak in the state. In other words, uh, you know, if it's longer, if it's into May or June or things like that, or if it recurs, um, it could have a serious and disruptive effect on the legislative session. So we already do know, and this is public, um, you know, that the governor essentially has said, I'm going to do a complete reset of the state budget. So, for example, in the budget, he had proposed some pretty major new environmental initiatives. One was to overhaul and restructure the Department of Toxic Substances Control. Another one was to create what he called a climate catalyst fund, a uh, billion dollars to spend on climate investments in the state. I fully expect those will be uh, in suspension. And you might, you know, what you'll see probably is the adoption of what people refer to as a workload budget, which will just basically fund the agencies at the level they were funded last year. And then some of these new initiatives will either be put on hold and uh, looked at later in the year or, or not taken up at all. Do you, do you think there'd be any May revision as we come to understand it over the years? I mean, as I understand it, tax deadlines have been eased. So we aren't really going to know, will we, how much money we've actually got in the kitty after the April 15th tax deadline, income tax deadline? Yeah. Is that the process of the budget? Is that going to change? I'm just wondering if the whole timeline, the, the budget's got to be, uh, budget's supposed to be approved by the legislature by June 15th, goes to the governor, has got a couple of weeks to diddle with it, and then July 1 is the beginning of the fiscal year. I'm just wondering if that timeline is going to be affected at all. I'm trying to envision the legislature voting on the budget virtually. Uh, are they going to be back, do you think, by then, or no? Well, that's a really good, those are all questions that have not been answered yet. But what I will tell you, going back to the budget, you're right. One of the few immovable uh, deadlines is the constitutional deadline to pass the budget by June 15th and to have the governor sign it by July 1st. I do expect the legislature one way or another, whether it's virtual voting, whether it's in-person voting, um, they will pass a budget. Um, and I expect, going back to your initial question, the May revise, you know, typically is an update of the January 10 budget based on new assumptions about revenues. And I, I expect the May revise will be sort of in broad brush, a retrenchment back to the budget of, of the current year and kind of a removal of all the new things that were proposed, plus, you know, an expectation that there'll be some things in there for COVID, perhaps some things for wildfire, uh, perhaps some things on housing, but not a whole lot more uh, beyond that. And they will adopt that as, you know, again, it, the term they use is a workload budget. In, and get it done. So they'll meet the constitutional deadline. And then, you know, if there is a desire and an opportunity to come back later in the summer, if the virus subsides and we go back to some semblance of normalcy, then you could see what people around the Capitol refer to as Budget Bill Jr. or some other follow-up budget action later in the year. You know, I always think of you in the Capitol, up at the Senate. Uh, you had a cubbyhole office way in the back, 90% of it taken up by paper and reports and all kinds of stuff. And then people wanting to talk to you lined up, uh, you know, especially end of session when there's a lot going on or there's a big bill up there. Uh, but there's a lot of 
human activity. There's a lot of to and fro. I mean, there's a lot going on, but now that's completely changed. You, how, how have you been adjusting to, you know, working from home and doing all these things you used to do when you talk to people face to face? Well, it's definitely an adjustment. I mean, it's, you know, the business we're in, you guys know this is a, um, you know, it's a social business. I mean, the state capital is a place that people congregate, um, to petition, uh, their state government. Obviously there's lobbyists and, uh, uh, I, you know, one of the things I love about going into work uh, every day is, you know, it's also, uh, and a lot of people don't know this, it's a, a state park and a museum. And so there's always, you know, kids, school, school children, uh, visitors from out of state and out of the country from all over the world in the capital touring. And, you know, all of that is, is uh, at a standstill right now. So what I will tell you is from the standpoint of my work, um, it's, you know, it's challenging, just like for you. But, uh, you know, the, the uh, miracle of the Internet and of um, social media, email, yeah. texting, all that stuff. You know, I, I have on average seven or eight uh, conference call meetings a day. So you're, I'm still able to do the essential work. Um, but you're right, the social aspect of it. I, I actually like Governor Newsom and uh, Mayor Steinberg both have said we shouldn't call it social distancing, we should call it physical distancing, because, you know, what you really want is people not to be physically together, but socially, I still talk to my friends, we text, we, text, we uh, uh, you know, I've had a couple of uh, virtual happy hours with uh, co-workers at the end of the day, where we all toast a glass of wine and uh, talk about the day's events. So it's, <laughs> it's definitely different, but it's, 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 it's very much workable. So, Kip, do you have an idea of how many, like, what percentage of the staffers are still working actually in the Capitol? Well, I can speak for the Senate and the pro tem's office. Everybody is still working, That first of all. And we, and we have, <clears throat> the Senate, you know, has a very good, you know, set of uh, mechanisms to allow people to work at home and to um, work remotely, both in terms of, uh, call, you know, we can get conference calls set up at any time during the day. Um, we can access all of our files and work. So in a weird way, while I'm sitting at a desk, um, you know, 25 miles south of the Capitol, uh, I'm, it's like I'm sitting at my desk in my office, other than the part where uh, the human interaction part, uh, you know, sort of physical interaction part with lobbyists and with the, the public. Um, in terms of people being in the Capitol, uh, I know for speaking for the pro tem's office, we have someone in our office every day physically there to handle anybody, uh, any calls or uh, to kind of be there if there's anything that comes in that needs immediate attention. And then all of us on the pro temp staff are talking virtually, you know, using one or more of the, the platforms uh, that are available online. So everybody is working. Um, some people go in, I've been into my office several times just to go in, pick up mail, uh, take a quick look around. Um, but pretty much anything I can do there other than, uh, you know, physical meetings, I can do at home right now. And, so, and I think, I suspect uh, most of the people uh, on our staff are doing pretty much the same thing. You feel like you're getting adjusted to it now. I'm, I'm slowly getting adjusted to it. I think the first week or so was the toughest one for me personally. It seemed like I, I was getting like, I felt like I was under house arrest and I was getting cabin fever and trying to go out and, you know, carefully. Uh, but now I'm kind of, I kind of like it. Like right now I'm sitting, like I said before, I'm sitting in a home office. I'm in a recliner right now. I'm relaxed. I'm not standing up at my, my desk in the office. It just seems a bit different. Now I'm getting used to it. So by the time I get used to it, it'll be all gone, right? Well, I'll be going back to work in a normal way, I guess. That's probably what's going to happen. 
Yeah, you really wonder about that. I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, the first week or two, and, and it's still a little weird. I, I, you know, I have the virtue of living uh, <clears throat> out in uh, Clarksburg, south of uh, Sacramento, and uh, so I can get out and walk a lot. It's a lot of open area out here. Um, I bike uh, from time to time. And so um, I can get out a little bit and walk around, but the, the, it is, it's weird. <laughs> I, I read online a great story. It reminds me of, uh, you know, some of those, for, the, for those of us who are of a certain age and who remember a show called The Twilight Zone, it reminds me of those, <laughs> those shows where like, you know, somebody's in a town and the town is completely normal and coffee is percolating and people are, you know, it's like the radio's on and everything's normal except for there's no people. And it's kind of like that kind of a situation. My wife and I have been taking a lot of walks around the neighborhood. And that was exactly what we said a couple of days ago, that you're walking along and these streets are normally packed full of people. Everything looks normal. All the lawns are mowed. Everything's good. But there's just no one out and there's no traffic. And it was very Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we notice in our neighborhood, people walk by and there are people walking by I've never seen before. We get a parade of people on walks. I live about three or four miles south of the capital in the little pocket. And there are people that go by that I've never seen in the neighborhood ever. The regular, usual, you know, the neighborhood habitués, they're there and they're walking around, but there are people from far and wide. I think what's happening is people are taking longer walks to get out of the house and people are coming from other neighborhoods and, you know, walking through our, and also lots of kids and their parents all walking as families together. Well, it's kind of, yeah, that's it's an good, interesting dynamic. That's the good part. I agree. I actually yeah, think that I yeah. see the same thing. You see, you see a lot of people, particularly early in the day and at the end of the day, uh, you see entire families out walking. And I, yeah, that's that's a great thing. Uh, the, yeah. one of and the their other dogs. Their dogs adjust. are everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yep, one of the other adjustments, you know, I, I, I'm, um, I'm, I, I'm in a high-risk group, even though I don't have any health issues, but I am over 65. And, um, you know, my kids. God, you're that old? Adult kids. Really? That old? Oh, yeah, okay, know, really. go ahead. <laughs> yes, I am. I just turned Sad 70, so I can, I can relate, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you I'm know, sorry, go ahead. 70's a new 40. <laughs> yeah. um, I, w I will say, you know, my, my kids have been really great about saying, you know, Dad, do you want us not to come visit you? We don't want to, you know, expose you to the virus and stuff like that. So it's had a little bit of an impact on family life. You know, none of my kids yeah. uh, are uh, sick or anything like that. But they've been, they've been appropriately cautious about, you know, uh, coming down. And when they do come down to visit, we appropriately uh physical distance ourselves and stuff like that so yeah it's definitely wow. a change yeah. no question about it yeah this uh, you know i can't think of anything in my lifetime that is has been anything like this and i think this will be a shared experience that all americans and certainly people all around the world are going to always remember there will be you know there's a lot of jokes on twitter about people you know 40 years from now they're like oh grandma always why is she always wiped down the bags in the grocery store with wet wipes it's like well she lived through the covid crisis and i <laughs> i think there is a lot yeah. of truth to that that there's going to be this collective shared experience by everyone that lived through this and observed this quarantine and social distancing thing that's absolutely unlike anything i've ever lived through i mean 9-11 was quite a shock and it was a shock but it, it seemed like after a week or so it kind of started to wear off this gets weirder the longer we go. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's sort of, totally it, it grows exponentially each day, even if they're saying that the numbers are looking a little better. In fact, the numbers kind of spike, then they go down, then they spike more. It, it, there doesn't seem to be an end to it. And we keep hearing there's a crisis a week ahead, two weeks ahead. So we're all kind of in a state of suspended animation. You know, we're kind of waiting for the worst to come 
and hoping that it comes so we can get it over with. But it's 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 out there hanging around, you know. So it, it's it's yeah. pretty spooky. It's just weird. Yeah, it is. You, you, you notice being uh, lobbying, hey, Kip. Have you noticed being lobbying any more or less when lobbyists can't come into your office and say, "Hey, Kip, what about this bill?" But they do it via email or via phone or something. Yeah. Is that yeah. easier for you to handle yeah. or not so easy? Or how's that work? The practice of lobbying is like uh, the flow of water. It's always going to find a way to flow downhill. And I think the, you know, the, yes, you're absolutely right. <laughs> lobbyists, they, they email. Um, I've had numerous conference calls with lobbyists. Um, so, yes, the, the uh, practice of lobbying in the Capitol hasn't diminished uh, at all. I do think, you know, some of the interest groups that I work with, the environmental groups and the public uh, interest groups, a lot of them are kind of re doing like us, they're recalibrating. Okay, so, um, you know, we had this agenda in January, but now the legislature schedule is going to change and the governor's uh, attention is going to change. What should we be doing uh, to recalibrate uh, our agenda? So there, you know, I think the lobbying corps, the third house, just like the rest of us, is kind of um, adjusting to it. But there is no, I can tell you, I wake up uh, to probably 150 emails every morning. And I would say at least half of those are from lobbyists <laughs> asking to talk or sending a letter or sending information about an issue or, uh, you know, uh, some something or another uh, that is exactly the kind of thing they would do if we were all in the state capitol. I do want to go back to something you guys were talking about just for a minute. And John, you brought it up. Um, you know, I think back uh, for us, you know, uh, wily veterans of many years, I think about the same, like sort of as the capital community, what were the really big, you know, disruptions that took place over the last 40 or 45 years since I've been in the capital? And I agree with you. You know, I think of sort of from a political standpoint, the, uh, you know, the speakership fight in the early 80s and that sort of thing. And then, of course, the 9-11 uh, and the, uh, John will remember this, but there was an incident where uh, uh, a guy drove a semi truck into the Senate side of the Capitol one night after session was over. That was a big deal oh, too, yeah. and kind of exposed the, uh, you know, the uh, the fragility of the security of the Capitol. But I agree with you guys. There is nothing the, the the common the shared experience both within the Capitol community and in the world at large of this is really something that I think people will remember for the rest of their lives. What are you hearing on the staffs as far as when it'll get back to normal? What do you, what do you, I mean, is, do we have a startup date? I know they talked about April. Uh, I thought I heard uh, May and maybe not even then. Do you have some notion? Uh, it's just play it by ear. It depends on what happens. But what, yeah, is there a firm startup date now scheduled? Do you know? No, there is no firm startup date. Um, you know, Senator, at least I, only speaking for our office, I think Senator Atkins is very much guide, guided by the public health uh, risks and the advice that professionals are giving us, and of course the governor's uh, insights. And so I, I think I can safely say we're probably not going to go back into session, uh, you know, next week or maybe even the week after. I suspect, you know, we're now looking at late April or early May at the earliest. But who knows if at that point, um, you know, we have thousands of people uh, passing away from this virus, and as you guys noted, if the spikes in the um uh the incidences of the virus increase uh you know i think that uh the legislature and the governor have to think about you know the risk not just to their own staffs but also to the public coming into the capitol yeah, and sure you know, how you would go about holding hearings and stuff so that's very much an open question um and i do think you know 
Are, are in the Senate? This is a discussion that the senators are having uh, among themselves, and you know they will call the shots in terms of when we come back. Ultimately, uh, along with the pro tem, and of course the assembly, our partners over in the assembly. Is there any uh, system set up for for virtual voting, virtual floor sessions? Have they done that? I can't remember if they've done that or not, or they were talking about it. I don't know if that's actually happened. Yeah, I, what I, it has not happened yet. Um, I noticed that the, the state Supreme Court and uh, other branches of government are, like I mentioned, the State Water Resources Control Board. Some of those entities are having uh, virtual online hearings uh, uh, or you know, oral arguments, as, as the case may be, at the state Supreme Court. Um, but you know, it's a little harder. The legislature has 120 members, as you guys know, and, and so you know, trying to do that or to do committee hearings where you have you know, 10, 15, 20 members on a committee is a very tricky issue, both in terms of just the physical uh, management of it. And then there are questions of constitutionality and, you know, quorums and those sorts of things. So I think that is something that's being explored, but I don't think there's been any decision yet about uh, whether or how to go about doing it, at least not in the Senate. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are using uh, Zoom as a you know, sort of a Skype on steroids, getting together for conferences and stuff. And we've used it a couple of times here in the last couple of days for family members here at the house. And I kind of got a kick out of it. I actually, it was a lot more enjoyable than I thought it would be. It had some things, some wrinkles that we didn't know how to work out. We're still neophytes at this. But are you using Zoom? Are you guys, is there any special program you could recommend for video conferencing? That's a great question. Well, I mean, there's, you know, the three that I know of are Zoom, obviously, which has gotten a lot of attention lately. FaceTime for a lot of the, the you know, smaller staff discussions that we have and stuff. We use uh, FaceTime, which is, uh, you know, an Apple platform. And then, of course, Skype. But I tend to approach it in terms of, you know, if, if our office is setting up a meeting, we typically just do a conference call without video. If our, um, you know, if a lobbyist wants to do a Zoom um, uh, call, they will, you know, they'll send the information to me and say, here's how you, you know, sign on and stuff like that. So it's kind of, you know, what people do. I've used all three platforms. I, I'm kind of like you. I, I really like the technology. It's really fun. And it's kind of a step, you know, back from actually physical presence. But at least you can see facial expressions and laugh and do other kinds of things. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I would say... I use FaceTime more than any other platform just because that's what I have. But Zoom is certainly something people use too. I, I did a, uh, a Zoom call with about, I, I was shocked, it was probably 80 uh, environmental groups just to update them on a number of things the other day. And it was, um, it was interesting to see that platform and when people are talking how their background comes up and, you know, some people have the kind of prover the proverbial bookcases and that sort of thing. One guy had... I thought he was out on the ski slopes, but it turns out he had a mural behind him of, <laughs> uh, you know, a ski area. So, you know, different people do different things. Do you have any sense um, about, we know the budget's going to get rewritten, basically top to bottom. The governor said it was everything's on the table now. Do you have some notion about how much our reserve is being eaten away by this, you know, by this, by the crisis? How we're going to weather this fiscally? Do you have any sense of that? If only from the environmental end, but... But are we, you know, are we getting bled white here as we go through this crisis, or is that overstating it? Do you think? Well, I think you know. Look, I'm no, I'm not a, uh, you know, our our budget expert is Chris Woods, but I will say, uh, you know, from where, from my standpoint, I'd answer that two ways. 
from the big picture standpoint, yes, obviously this is having a major impact on uh, state revenues. As you mentioned, it's not just kind of the longer haul, like how much is the state going to collect, but also the delays in filing of tax returns and those sorts of things affect, um, you know, the, the when revenue arrives and how it can be spent. But, you know, what I would say is I think, you know, the, the good news and, you know, probably, uh, you know, God bless uh, former Governor Jerry Brown, but the, uh, you know, the uh, enactment in the last decade of an on-time budget, majority vote budget and the uh, rainy day fund, uh, we at least start with a much better position than where we were, um, you know, in past years, uh, like the, the uh, 2008 uh, recession. And so I, it, it's definitely something that they, uh, the budgeteers are all keeping an eye on. I think, you know, a lot of this, again, it's hard to predict the future. If the, if the uh, virus abates and if people go back to, uh, you know, some semblance of normalcy, not that anything will ever be normal again, uh, as we used to think of it, um, then, you know, the economy could recover. And, you know, we know, uh, you know, at the federal level, there's a lot of pressure to, to start, uh, restart the economy. But if the virus continues on, then I think um, policymakers and the governor and the legislative leadership, you know, will have to take that into account as well. But it's definitely, I mean, I think there's no doubt that it will dramatically um, affect and change uh, the January 10 budget that the governor proposed, which was put together at a time when the state's economy was booming and uh, we had, we, you know, the general fund was flush. But the, the rainy day fund is going to help a lot. In the environmental area, it's a little trickier because most of the environmental programs in California these days are funded by what are called special funds. They're not uh, general taxpayer funded, but they're funded by fees, for example. So think of it, um, one of the things that we've been discussing on our calls is the Department of Fish and Wildlife has suspended in certain areas of the state uh, sports and recreational fishing, and the parks have closed, the state parks have closed to keep people from congregating and infecting each other. Well, those revenues are the revenues that help pay for the state park system or pay for the Fish and Wildlife Department to, uh, you know, to uh, to do its work. And so those kinds of activities, the, the economic uh, impacts that you're seeing in the private sector are also uh, going to come home to roost, at least in the environmental portions of the state budget, because a lot of those agencies rely on, uh, you know, the public and uh, uh, economic activity through fees and licenses and that sort of thing to be able to operate. So it's, it's going to be a challenge, no question about it. Well, one last question, Kip. What, if you had to pick one issue, you touched on this earlier, but you've had to pick one environmental issue uh, that's going to come to the forefront when we get back into a regular mode whenever that happens. What do you think that one issue would be? Well, I think I, it's a little bit broader than just the environment, but I, I do think, you know, if we were not in this situation, the legislature would be grappling once again with what do we do about the horrendous effects of climate change and in particular the wildfires? We had another relatively and unfortunately dry uh, winter season. You guys know that the rain and snow pack are uh, well below normal. The good news is most of our water storage is still up, but the landscapes of California will be drier and uh, be uh, more subject to uh, catastrophic wildfires uh, in the coming uh, months uh, than, you know, than they would have been if we'd had a, a rainy year. And so I really think, uh, and this is, you know, this is, this cuts across a lot of different issues. It cuts across the management of the landscapes out there, whether it's the North Coast forests or whether it's the chaparral in, in San Diego County, 
It, it also affects all of us as, as uh, uh, you know, electric customers. So, you know, your, your bills, your PG&E bills or your uh, SMUD bills are going to be affected depending on how well we manage the wildfire risk out there. And obviously, this is also an issue of like the longer term, what do we do to manage the impacts of climate change uh, on the state? Senator Atkins, my boss, before this crisis hit, uh, had a major new bill on sea level rise, which is another less uh, well understood issue, but has the real potential to adversely impact the coastal regions of California and affect billions of dollars of property and that sort of thing. So I do think that I think the wildfires and the you know kind of broader impacts of uh, climate change, uh, the dry uh, water season that we've had, those are going to be one of the issues that the legislature, when and if we do come back, probably will be the biggest environmental issue for the rest of session. Great. Kip, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Thanks for enlightening us. Uh, Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thanks, John. And this is John Howard, and we will see you next time around. Thanks. Thanks, you guys. Thank you.